as we've been talking, 2022 is gone. Calendar's clicked over. It's 2023. Uh, but uh, Steve, I think you mentioned it was a time for change. But in, in another sense, nothing really changes, does it? I woke up this morning. I, I was still sunburnt from yesterday. I haven't looked, but I'm pretty confident my Hexted is still there. Um, nothing really changes. Uh, in fact, sometimes it gets even worse. This morning, Janet and I, we decided we were going to come in on the motorbike, you know. We, we didn't worry about the weather forecast. We could do it. We headed in here. A little bit of rain, nothing much. The belt that drives the rear wheel of my bike snapped. Not a good sign for this year, is it? Not a good sign at all. But we find in this new year that things may not change, but there are things that we can change. It's an opportunity, if you like, for us to, to reassess the year, to, to look back on, on, on how we viewed things in the past and make changes for this year. So while the belt on my motorbike snapped, it snapped at the top of the hill here. We just rolled down, <laughs> coasted in, and we're parked out the back there. Steve is here to give us a lift home. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Again, it's just all on the attitude, isn't it? Um, as Steve mentioned, this month we're, we're, we're looking at some of those biblical foundations that, that, that we are really quite familiar with. And, and I'm hoping that you'll grab these and take as an, as an opportunity to reassess your understanding of them. Uh, and, um, and maybe that'll help us as we move forward through this year. Uh, maybe it'll help us in the way we live out our faith and how we spread that message that Jesus saves to the world. Uh, I've used the word Jesus saves now. Now, I've got to say, Jesus saves by itself is a challenge to understand for some people, and I quite often wonder how those people in the world understand that expression, Jesus saves. Uh, and it gives me a bit of a chuckle when I think that some of them read it and go, hmm, I wonder where Jesus saves maybe I should put my money there too. Now, that may sound ridiculous, I, I do appreciate that, but a few years ago, I was talking to a, 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 a new mate, he'd, he'd only just come to Christ, and he's there saying to me, ah, so that's what the gospel is. Do you know, I thought gospel was just a type of music. He was deadly serious, and it really made me aware how much of our Christian jargon isn't understood in the world. Uh, and Jesus saves is, is one of those. Now, I want to give you one example on our, on our next slide. I tried to find something Australian. I had no success. So, so this is from a, a travel blog in the US and as you can see we've got that big billboard Jesus saves and it's outside Battle Creek Baptist Church. I'd love to be able to tell you which Battle Creek Baptist Church there is but, but due to that thing uh, I think they called it the Civil War a couple of uh, centuries back 
There's lots and lots of battle creeks in the US and a lot of them uh, have a Baptist church. Out of interest, I can only find one battle creek in Australia and there's no Baptist church there. So definitely American. It's not so important though where the location is as what the blogger says. And he asks this question, Jesus saves what? Uh, They then go on to claim that if Jesus isn't saving endangered species, well, they're they're in. They're with Jesus. It's something they're passionate about. However, if they're wanting to save the blogger's soul, they're not interested. And and I've got to say, when I'm I'm reading this, I, I found it quite ironic that the blogger and the threatened species to which he refers are both blissfully ignorant that their continuing existence is in danger. Now, the blogger has enough religious exposure to realise that Jesus does want to save them. The question they should be asking is, save them from what? Now, when you look at that expression, Jesus saves, it doesn't tell us, does it? And I'm sure if I, if I went around the church here today, I'd actually get a variety of answers. Some of those that I would expect to hear from you is that uh, we are saved from sin. We are saved from the power of Satan. Or we are saved from death. Now, they're all fine answers. They're all true, aren't they? However, the ultimate threat confronting sinners is the wrath of God the wrath of God does Jesus save us from God's judgment now some of us have doubts about this and and they can be founded because when we read passages like Romans 14 10 to 12 uh, we see we we read there that uh, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. The idea that we have to give the God of the universe an account of ourselves on the day of judgment can be frightening, even for Christians. Well, Paul seems to anticipate our uncertainty when he wrote Romans 5 1 to 11 because it gives us three arguments of why we should have confidence that God will save and I'll just invite Janet up to read that passage for us thanks Janet Wesley I think it's on That sounds better. (laughs) Okay, today's reading, Romans 5, 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, Not only so, but we also boast in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance character 
and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's the verses for today. Thanks for that, Janet. Now, that, uh, that reading was from the, the NIV. Uh, however, I did alter one word, and, and uh, I feel I have to be honest about this. Uh, the word is in verse 3. The NIV actually reads, We glory in our suffering. Uh, if you look up other versions of Scripture, you'll read, We rejoice in our suffering, or we boast in our suffering. Now, I chose boast over the NIV's glory, firstly, because boast is used in the passage, and in the Greek, they're the same words. So, where the NIV is used boast, the Greek is, (laughs) there's a Greek word there, and where I've changed glory to boast, it's the same Greek word there. Secondly, it becomes relevant to my message. Otherwise, I would have left it as it is. So there you go. You can turn up your Greek. You can check it out. Uh, but I just feel I need to bring that to your attention. Now, this is one of those passages where the deeper you dig, the more riches you find. Uh, the frustration for me this morning is, is, is I'll give you all of that, but uh, time means that, uh, that I can only give you a, a few gems that relate to our big question. And the first thing is, how can we, or the the question is, how can we be sure God will save us? And Paul gives us three types of assurances in in what I refer to as a bit of a sandwich structure. Uh, See, we have the bottom layer and the top layer that are similar. Uh, They tell us how we have been, how we are, and how we will be blessed. And the filling is all about how awesome God is. So let's get into it. How does the bottom layer of the sandwich answer our question? Well, we can have assurance through our past, next slide, I think, yep, through our past and current experiences of trusting God. And the first four verses of of our chapter speaks about the rewards we have received and enjoy now because we place our faith 
and hope in God. So let's first look at, at faith. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. It seems that faith unlocks the blessings of God. So having faith is pretty important, isn't it? But how do we get faith? 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of a type of faith as a, as a gift of the Spirit. Uh, in other places like Galatians 5, faith is a fruit of the Spirit. And what come, came to mind was, was when Jesus speaks of faith, he talks as faith as small as a mustard seed being able to move mountains. And you'll hear a better sermon on faith. I'm just trying to keep this really compact. But it seems to me that the potential for faith was planted into each of us as part of the image of God, the original image of God. Uh, when we, well, since the fall, when we started living for ourselves, we deny the existence of faith and it remains hidden and dormant within us. God is the one who awakens faith. He draws it to the surface and he nurtures it and we receive it as a gift. The reason I wanted to pull this out is that um, for a long time as a young Christian, I thought faith was something that I generated, that it was me, me, me. It isn't. It's, a, it, it's something God has put into us and despite sin, he brings back to life. It's a gift from God. The, uh, the, the first is that, uh, sorry, and, and looking through this passage at the gifts, the first is that we have been justified. Justified, it's a, it's a legal term, isn't it? Where we've been acquitted of all charges and are deemed to be righteous. Um, if you like, the case is settled and we now have peace with God. Uh, and the judgment will not be appealed. There's, there's no further cases pending. In fact, by faith, we now stand in God's grace. Again, we're back under God's rule and blessing. Now, for our first century readers, they understand that God has moved from being the prosecutor and judge to being their benefactor or patron. This is the sort of language that we, we only hear about patrons of the art. Uh, it's, it's not often used now, but this is really a foundation of the Roman Empire and, and, and the, the people of that time. And a patron is a person who uses their wealth, their power and their influence for the benefit of their clients. In other words, the patron makes the impossible possible for their client. And this is our experience of God. He is our patron. Roman readers were also familiar with the honour-shame culture of the time. And, and I just want to mention that now because it becomes relevant in the, in the rest uh, of our message as we investigate this next section on hope. So continuing on, and we boast in the hope 
of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also boast in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. So we've added hope to faith. And Paul gives us some explanation of what hope is in Romans 8, 24 and 25, which reads, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope of all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hope is confidence in God's infinite power, wealth and influence. In other words, God's glory to bring about what he has promised to do when we boast about God's infinite qualities we're acting as a good client should to their patron we shower God with the honor he deserves when we suffer for our faith others see this as a reason for shame they mock us with a a phrase something like look your God doesn't protect you but Paul here in this passage encourages us to look deeper and see that through suffering God is helping us to develop some spiritual muscle not a good example I'm sorry but anyway therefore we reject shame and instead honor God for bringing blessing out of pain just as Israel's experience of God bringing them out of Egypt gave them reason to place their faith and hope in him, our experience of God gives us assurance that he will save us. Yet, you know, some of us still may be doubting. Surely we need to be doing more than just exercising faith and hope to be saved. Well, in the second point, Paul, Paul assures us that God will save us. Through our experience of trusting God, because God loves us and gave all for us. So that's, that's the next reason. This is, this is the meat in the sandwich, if you like. It's all about God and his saving work through Jesus. So let's read our, our next few verses. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When I read this, I, I see the, the arrogance that, that we carry around uh, to think that, that we somehow contribute to, to our salvation. But you read here that we're described as powerless, ungodly sinners. Elsewhere in Scripture, Paul describes us as corpses. He captures this in Romans 8 when he writes, The mind governed by the flesh is death and that those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Even our ability to have faith and hope is only possible because the Holy Spirit has been 
has poured God's love into our hearts, as it says there. We bring nothing to the table. Rather, we're wholly dependent on God's love for us. And love is shown through action. As we read, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How does this work? I, 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 I like to understand how things work. And uh, when we read Romans 8, 3 to 4, we read that God sent his own son to be a sin offering in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Now, I'll quite often have conversations and people, they'll say, well, you know, that it just doesn't feel right. Couldn't God have found a, another way? I mean, he's God. Couldn't he have just pushed it aside? Just, just said, right, I'm going to ignore that? Well, God can't do something underhanded, like ignore justice. To do so itself would be a crime and make God less than God. No, God has to satisfy his own righteousness. The penalty for death for sinners stood. Only God pays that penalty for all people in all times through the death of his sinless son, Jesus. We come to verse 7 and really when you read verse 7 you, you, you wouldn't necessarily spot this as being the, the apex of the passage but it is because verse 7 is meant to show us just how unbelievable this act of love was. You see in, in, in the Roman times it wasn't unheard of for a client to die for their patron. After all they were nothing until their patron came along and, uh, and, and gave them everything. So that if their patron required of it, most clients would consider dying for their patron if called to do so. But that's not the case here. It's actually switched around. A patron giving their life for a client was beyond the scope of patronage. Things just don't work that way. But here, God gives the life of Christ. That is, he's anointed king, and he gives him not to save a valued client, but to save those who are unworthy of receiving patronage, powerless, ungodly sinners. Now, if you just think about that, if you, if you, can, if you can understand that, then... then we begin to get a glimpse of the depth of God's love for us. When we come back to our question, we've got to consider, if God has turned the whole social order upside down for our sake, and if Christ's sacrifices legally removed any impediments that would prevent, us, prevent God from saving us, then surely... He will save us. Well, some of us might say, yeah, well, maybe we're saved, but, um, but you know, the, the, our, our relationship with God still might be a bit awkward, a little bit frosty. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's forgiven us. He's allowed us to, to um, uh, live in his kingdom, but he's still pretty angry with us. Uh, you know, maybe it's going to be like David with his son Absalom. Uh, he allowed him to return home from exile but then refused to see him 
That, that, that'd be a pretty, pretty awkward afterlife, wouldn't it? Well, let's read on. Since we have now been justified, I feel like I've missed a page. I have missed a page. It's very important having your notes in order. <laughs> so our next slide, it tells us that through Jesus, we are reconciled with God. Fantastic. Excellent job down there. Now we can read our verses. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now I've got to tell you, I love these how much more arguments that are used in the, in the New Testament, used by Paul. And in each case, the argument's based on the greater is true, therefore the lesser must also be true. Now, I could, I could give you an example, the doorway into our church. I could say, if two men can walk side by side through that doorway into our church, then one man on his own can walk through that doorway makes sense of course he could if two can fit through one can fit through and this is the sort of arguments that that uh, that paul is making here paul's first argument retains that legal vibe where jesus sacrifices paid the penalty that has appeased god's wrath for all people who have placed their trust in jesus if we're confident that jesus sacrifice is sufficient for all people then why would we think it's not sufficient for us? That would just be ludicrous to do so. We shall be saved. Paul's second argument moves from the legal to the relational. Jesus' sacrifice not only removes the punishment of sin, but it also reconciles us with God the Father. This is sufficient for us to have confidence that we will be saved from God's wrath. But Paul adds, how much more shall we be saved through his life? Now, I don't know what you think of that. At, at, at first, I'm, I'm thinking of the, the traditional sort of thing. Well, because Christ died for our sins, but because he raised to life, we too will also raise to life and be, be raised to life, sorry. I think that's 100% correct. However, I think Paul's trying to um, tell us something else he, I think he's got in mind Jesus' role as our advocate before the Father as is spoken of in Romans 8.34 which should be on the screen who then is the one who condemns? No one Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us it says it all, but I want to give you one more verse because, again, I'm, I'm imagining I'm talking to someone who's is really, you know, they, they, don't want to, they don't want to believe they have to put all their faith in Jesus or God to save them. And they might say, well, you know, he's advocating, but who's to say he's going to win the argument with the Father? Well, Hebrews 7, 24, 25 is pretty convincing. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood a permanent role of interceding between us and the Father. 
Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Now, there's no room for doubt in this passage. You can see Jesus is able to save completely, not partly, not mostly, but completely. Why? Because he was raised to life for this very purpose, to intercede for us. And our sandwich is complete. How can we be sure God will save us? We've got the three reasons there. Through our experience of trusting God, because he loves us and gave all for us, and through Jesus we are reconciled with God who intercedes on our behalf. The question then becomes, how will we respond? And this brings us to our last verse. which I better flip over to. (laughs) Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If you believe that you have received reconciliation with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, then there is only one thing you should want to be doing, and that is boast about it. How simple is that? Believe and boast about our God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. You can see now why I wanted to keep that word boast in and make a point of it. (laughs) When I sat back and and looked at this this whole passage, I found a list of key words that were repeated uh, at least twice in the passage. And, uh, and, and each of them is worthy of a sermon. As, as I said, I've, I've just tried to condense this down. Uh, but I found that together they tell us a story. That's the one we want. They tell us a story uh, of our life in Christ. Now we could run through them that uh, in Christ we are justified. Through Christ, we have faith, we have hope. We are loved and we are reconciled with the Father. And the big one, the big one we're looking for for the answer to our question of being assured that we're saved in Christ, we are saved. And what do we have to do? In Christ, we boast. Be assured you will be saved from God's wrath if you are in Christ. So let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for, for all that you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, that you sent Christ to die for us. We thank you, Lord, that you love us in a way that has never been seen before. We thank you, Lord, that you have saved us. And we ask, Lord, that you forgive us for forever doubting you about this. And please, Lord, forgive us for, for those sinful thoughts we have that we, where we think we can actually contribute to our salvation as if it makes a, pass, a, a, a part of that, that experience, Lord. It's all you, God. It's all Jesus. And we praise you for it. Lord, give us opportunities to boast. Give us loud voices and and proud hearts 
proud about you, Lord, uh, as we go out into 2023. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. and seeing what a beautiful night.